We are beginning a new series entitled Stuffed. There are certain things that we are stuffed with. Um, and in this series, we will be challenged to give up some of those things in order uh, to make room for God to fill us with something else. Uh, Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And while Jesus is talking about God and money uh, in this particular verse, there are other things that we can be stuffed with that can compromise our devotion to God. Things like grudges or particular pleasures or ourselves or, you know, just stuff. Uh, we need to do some personal house cleaning in order to create space for God to be at work in us. One of our new directives is transformed lives, where we live visibly different lives because of our faith in Jesus. Living visibly different lives requires doing an inventory, if you will, of our lives, uh, discerning what in our lives we need to part with. Uh, what is God calling us to incorporate more into our lives. Uh, we're gonna begin our stuff series by looking at our stuff. So we're gonna take an inventory of our stuff in a little bit, um, but we also want to you know, be letting go of our tendency to just acquire more and more stuff and replacing that tendency with an increased practice of generosity. Uh, the scripture for this morning is Luke chapter 12, verses 13 to 21. If you have your Bibles, please turn there. Uh, Luke is the third book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, and then Luke. Uh, you can also look up the Gospel of Luke on your phones uh, if you have those. Um, but in this passage, Jesus tells a parable about a man who is richly blessed, and he responds to that blessing in all the wrong ways. Our scripture reader this morning is Marvin Barnes. And so Marvin, please make your way up to the podium. As he does, I'm gonna ask if you're able, please stand and face the center of the room. We read from the center of the room to remind us that scripture is to be central in our lives. And we stand because we believe this is the word of God. And so Marvin, whenever you are ready, please read from Luke chapter 12, verses 13 to 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, well, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then, you. then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, 
but is not rich toward God. Marvin, thank you very much. You may be seated. It's not a secret at all that we live in a materialistic society, and before you start arguing against that too much in your head, um, let me just illustrate how materialistic we are, okay? During COVID, what was the first thing to disappear from the stores? Toilet paper, right? Okay, we had a serious toilet paper shortage. Uh, you had to go to like 10 stores just to find toilet paper if you were lucky. Hey, honey, I'm gonna go out and get some toilet paper. I'll be back in like three hours. Um, and then how mad did we get? Because there was a toilet paper shortage. You know, we freaked out, we got really mad. We judged people, this is ridiculous. Why would people hoard toilet paper? Um, stores had to limit us to two packs per trip. Um, you know, you heard stories about fights in store parking lots over toilet paper. Uh, one time, my wife and I were in Target, this is a true story, and we had a fairly large uh, package of toilet paper in our cart. We bumped into someone we knew, and we felt the need to explain why we had the toilet paper in our cart. Uh, we're not hoarding, we, we're like down to two rolls at home, and that's why we have this, okay? Uh, it was ridiculous. You know, and then what was the second thing to just dis disappear from the shelves? Well, it was bottled water. You know, water, water, the stuff that comes out of the faucet at our home. You know, we decided, yeah, let's lug these giant heavy packs of bottled water so we don't have to go through the work of turning on the faucet at home. Um, or you might be like one of those people, drink tap water. What are we, Neanderthals? It's ridiculous. Um, now, I mentioned earlier we're going to do an inventory of our lives. So we're going to do a quick inventory of our stuff. Judgment-free zone. Let's not judge each other as we raise our hand to tell stories about our stuff, Okay. Gonna start with a fairly innocent option here. How many of us own a TV? Okay, keep your hand up if you own three or more. Okay, no judging, no judging. I see what you people are doing, okay. Um, uh, let's just talk about streaming services. You know, Disney Plus, Netflix, Hulu. How many of you have at least one streaming service? How many of you have three or more streaming services? How many of you still have cable or satellite? Yeah, talk about Neanderthals, holy cow. Just kidding, just kidding. I still have satellite. I also have Disney Plus, Netflix, and Hulu. Um, shoes, okay, this is gonna get emotional for some of us. We're gonna start talking about shoes. Start thinking about how many pairs of shoes you own. I'm gonna pause, because some of you really need to do some serious counting, okay? Good pause. Raise your hand if you have five or more pairs of shoes. Keep your hands up if it's 10 or more. Keep your hands up if it's 15 or more. Okay, I already know too much. Put your hands down, thank you. Cars, raise your hand if you have at least one car for each driver in your household. Raise your, keep your hand up if you have more cars than drivers in your household. Okay, uh, toys like razors and boats and snowmobiles and motorcycles. Okay, raise your hand if you own one of these. Okay, raise your hand if you own two or more. Keep your hand up if you have three or more. Okay, the last one we're gonna do is close. Raise your hand if you have clothes that you have not worn in over a year. Okay, all right. Thank you for your honesty, and it's good to know that God still loves us. All right, hey, look, there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong to own the things we own. You know, that's, that which we own, we worked for, and it's okay to enjoy them. 
And this, this goes beyond being rich or poor. Um, it's really asking the question, how do we prioritize and how do we use our stuff? There is a difference between having stuff and expecting our stuff to give us life. Um, and when we have as much as we do, it is a good idea to see how much of our lives are engulfed in our stuff. Now, uh, something else I just want us to consider this morning, um, that God wants us to let go of some of our stuff so that he can instill in us the value of generosity. Now, I want to affirm in many, many, many of you, many of you are very generous with your stuff, and you are a blessing to many people. So this is not a message insinuating none of you are generous at all. Many of you already are. Um, but in order to be generous, we do have to let go of some of our stuff. That's kind of the definition of generosity. Um, I'm calling this message the fortune of fools because this rich fool sought the wrong fortune. Fortune of fools. It's good to ask, what do you value more? Junk bonds or relational bonds? And when I say junk bonds, I don't mean the literal junk bonds. It's the bonds we place with our stuff, which sometimes turn into junk, which we still have a bond with. So what do we value more, junk bonds or relational bonds? Going uh, back to the passage, verses 13 and 14. And how it begins is, someone in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter between you? The passage starts with a man making a demand upon Jesus. And he wants Jesus to force his brother to divide the inheritance. Now, inheritance rules was covered in the law, the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. And rabbis would make rulings on disputed parts of the law. So um, it, wouldn't, it wasn't completely uncommon for someone to ask Jesus a question like this. The problem is, is one, this man is acting unilaterally and he wants Jesus to just blindly take his side. And as far as we can tell, his brother isn't included in the process at all. All this man is interested in is the inheritance. He didn't care about his relationship with his brother at all. Now, I've actually seen this way too many times. When the last parent dies and all the children begin to fight, and they fight over the inheritance. And what I've noticed, and what lawyers who I've talked to who deal with this kind of stuff have noticed, is that the fighting isn't about the money. It's about past wrongs that haven't been resolved. And the inheritance is someone's rightful restitution for how they've been wronged in the past by family members. And people will end family relationships over the inheritance. There is no amount of inheritance that is worth more than a good relationship with family. 
Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. These are the two greatest commands. Jesus came to restore relationships. Jesus came to bring people back into relationship with God, not to bring property back to people. Jesus is interested in our attitudes towards God and each other. Jesus doesn't care that much about who gets what. Um, when my kids were in elementary school, there was one particular Christmas I remember that I really splurged on their gifts. I got my son Guitar Hero. Um, my daughter, uh, one of my daughters got this four-foot-tall horse um, that, you know, neighed and moved its head and waved its tail, that kind of stuff. My other daughter got a toy dog that also made noise and moved, probably because our two real dogs weren't good enough. Um, and each of those were the number one gifts on their Christmas lists. Now, the horse and the dog required some assembly. Um, and so Christmas Eve, the kids are asleep, and it took me hours. Some of you know my assembly skills. Um, it took me hours to put that dog and horse together. I was exhausted, but I stayed up however long it would take and got them put together. Now, as I reflect on that night, you know, I sacrificed so that um, my kids could have a great Christmas memory, which was really cool, by the way. Um, and I was tired, but I spent a couple of hours building their toys. Now, when I reflect upon that, the fact that I was willing to spend a couple hours, even though I was tired, to build their toys, what haunts me is how many times when my kids were younger, I was too tired to spend a couple of hours to play with them. I was willing to spend a couple of hours to build their toys. I wasn't always willing to spend a couple hours to play with them. And that still kind of haunts me. Relationships are more important than stuff. Jesus said in Luke chapter 16, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Now, I find this verse odd because it sounds like Jesus is saying, buy your friends. <laughs> now, the more I look at this verse, I realize that Jesus isn't saying, buy your friends. We often use our relationships to acquire more things. It's called networking. Using our relationships to acquire more things. What Jesus is saying, use your things to acquire more relationship. Now let me affirm many of you again, uh, I know many of you do this. Some of you have nice homes, and you are more than happy to open up your homes and share meals with people for relational reasons. Others of you have toys like boats and razors and this kind of stuff, and you use those things to invite people to develop relationships with them. So I want to affirm you this, that, in that way. Use your things to acquire more relationship. That's really good advice. When we are generous, and that's exactly what we're doing, we use our things to develop deeper relationships. How much time do we spend acquiring stuff, and how much time do we spend assembling relationships? What do we value more, junk bonds or relational bonds? Another question, you know, in the 
realm of fortune of fools is what do we value more, a life of ease or a life of meaning? I'm going to read verses 15 to 19, and I don't know if you caught it when Marvin read it. He did a good job of emphasizing these words. But listen for how often you hear the words, I or my, in verses 15 to 19. Then Jesus said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. This man was completely self-centered. And Jesus gives a stern warning. Watch out. Watch out. It's what you say when someone is about to trip over something or there's something that might make you slip and fall. Watch out. Jesus says, watch out for all kinds of greed. It will make you trip, slip, and fall. If you look for meaning in your possessions, you will be left empty. This man has an abundant harvest. And so he asks, what will he do? He has no place to store his abundance. He could answer that question, what will I do, with generosity. He had the opportunity to be a major blessing to his community. And think about all the relationships he could develop if he wanted to be a blessing to everyone else. Instead, he is self-centered and thinks he's going to find meaning in the ease of life. Take it easy. Eat, drink, be merry. That's where he thinks he will find meaning. And most of us wonder, how nice it would be to have that, that kind of wealth. You know, the fancy cars, the giant homes, the extravagant vacations, the world travel. How cool would that be? It's got to be really nice. But you know what's interesting? What do the super rich, the super, super rich, what do they almost always end up doing? The super, super rich almost always end up establishing foundations. Charitable foundations. Charitable foundations around something they care about. Maybe it has to do with world hunger or education or climate concerns or arts or whatever other cause they want to adopt. Now, why do they do that? You know, they're rich. They can do anything. They've got the cars and the homes and the vacations and the world travel. Why would you leave a life of ease to start a charitable foundation? Well, the answer is obvious. Because a life of ease produces no meaning. Living the life of ease, as nice as it is, it eventually gets tired. We need to refresh our lives with meaning. As Proverbs 11 says, 
A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Being self-centered with our stuff, well, that leads to isolation. Generosity with our stuff leads to connection. Being generous refreshes life. Being generous gives life. The rich fool was a fool because he looked for life in a life of ease and leisure. Now, look, leisure is nice. Leisure is fun. And I do think everybody should experience some sense of leisure. But leisure does not give us life. If this man would have been generous, he would have found life. Generosity infuses life in us. Where will we be more generous? Because whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. What do we value more, a life of ease or a life of meaning? And then the last question to ask in regards to the fortune of fools is what do we value more, a short view of life or a long view? Going back to the passage one more time in verses 20 to 21 where it says, God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. Again, what makes him a fool is thinking that life and security is found in things. He had a very short view of life, only looking at the temporary. We all need places to live. We all need food to eat. We all need clothes to wear. These things are not trivial. They are important. Jesus says, our Father in heaven knows that we need them. But our ultimate security isn't found in things. Things will only give us temporary security. And while they are necessary for life, they are not what life is all about. God says, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. In other words, God requires your life. It's almost as if our lives depend upon God's grace. Our lives are always dependent on God. We don't always realize it, but that really doesn't matter because our lives are always dependent upon God. God didn't give us our lives so that we could simply acquire stuff. Now, it's tempting to do that. So, God is always giving us direction. Like in Matthew 6, where Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Sometimes um, uh, I wonder, you know, what would it be like to go back in time you know, go back to when I was like 18 years old and set myself up financially so I could be rich today. <laughs> you know, I, I, I daydream about stuff like that because I'm weird that way. You know, maybe it would be telling myself who would win all the Super Bowls so I could make money that way or what companies to invest in on the stock market, something like that. 
Storing up treasures in heaven. It sounds a little bit like setting ourselves up for later in life, maybe even after life. And I wonder what different ways that might look to set ourselves up. You know, just speculate with me for a little bit to see what a long view of life could look like. You know, how we use our stuff, it reveals our character, but how we use our stuff, well, it also shapes our character. What if we began to intentionally be more generous? And by intentionally being more generous, what we discover is that that intentionality to be more generous starts to shape our character, where we begin to value relationships over stuff more and more and more. And as we are more generous with our stuff, and it shapes our character, we begin to value God and our neighbors more like Jesus did. So what we value becomes more eternal. We value the eternal in nature more. Things like relationships, relationships with God, relationships with each other, those are eternal. And so we start to value those more. And we value what is temporary in nature less, like our stuff. I wonder if that would be one way to store up treasures in heaven, by making room in our lives to be more generous, opening our hearts to God and our neighbors. In doing that, where we set ourselves up for what heaven will be like. For where our treasure is, that is where our hearts will be too. What do we value more? A shorter view on life or a long view on life? Now, the good news is God is generous. God is generous. And God's generosity does not depend on our good behavior. God's generosity does not depend on our hard work. God's generosity does not depend on our strength. God is generous by nature. Being generous is simply who God is. And we all know people who are generous. They will give you the shirt off their back. It's just who they are. Well, take the most generous person you know, multiply their generosity by a thousand, and you're still not even close to the generosity of God. God is generous. Romans 8 says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Going back to the parable, you notice how the parable begins? It begins with God's generosity. The man has an abundant harvest. Now, God didn't take the man's life because he was selfish. It was the man's time. All of us have a finite amount of time before our lives will be required from us. And the question is, what will we do with God's generosity with the time we've been given? It is foolish 
to be selfish with the generosity of God. God knows that a life of leisure will not be fulfilling. We are blessed to be a blessing. And as we receive blessings from each other, and as we give blessings to each other, all of that is because of the blessings from God, we will experience the rich and abundant life God designed for us in the first place. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Please pray with me. Lord, we do thank you for your generosity towards us. In countless ways, the blessings that you continue to lavish upon us. And Lord, I would ask that you would increase, even in my heart, a sense of generosity and give me wisdom in how to um, use the things that you've given me to develop relationships deeper with the people you've brought to me. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Receive God's generous blessing. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.